0: Today we're going to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 through 16. We're going to look in those verses. And and I, I, I do want to say this uh, as we look in these verses and we we focus today's thoughts on fighting against divorce in the church. Um, I, I'll i be honest now. Some of you may look at this a little differently than I do. I, I may not be the best person to really... Uh, give instruction about divorce, (laughs) I've not faced it. You who have faced divorce, you know more about it than I do. You who have uh, had to go through the agony that comes with divorce. There's a lot of pain that comes with divorce. And some people know that better than others. If you've never faced it, you have no idea about it. So I've learned that I can't be judgmental about divorce. I've learned that because I don't know firsthand what it does to children. Because I don't know firsthand how it affects future relationships. Because I don't know firsthand how it affects us even in society because I don't know the stares and the looks that you get from people who don't know where you're walking. It's hard for me to pass any sort of judgment and it should be hard for anyone who has not been through this. Uh, To be honest, there are preachers who have faced this who we have said you can no longer preach or pastor our churches who know more About this subject than those who are preaching in our pulpits today. Somebody should say amen. Amen. I've heard it all my life. I don't know how a man can tell me how to keep my marriage together. If he can't keep his own together. Well, I can assure you that man can tell you the pain that comes when your marriage falls apart. Better than anyone who's never experienced it. So I'm not come today two point fingers I'm not come today to boast in the fact that God has been good and gracious to me and that I haven't faced this I don't know what tomorrow holds I don't know what next month next year the next 10 year holds what I do know is God's been faithful in this moment and my marriage is still together simply hear me simply By the grace of God. Not by my goodness. I'm not that good a husband. I'm not that good a man to where I have the power to keep my marriage together. Listen, truth is there are times when people just don't want to stay with you. And if they don't want to stay, sometimes you have to let them go. That's just the truth of it. Uh, We may not like that truth, but it is the truth of it. But I do want us to understand as a church, as the people of God, we should be fighting to keep our marriages together. That our marriages within the church should not look like marriages out in the world. That the world should be looking at us and saying, that's what I want. And I I believe that can happen. And today, as we look in this, in the passage today, I think we can find some things that will help us. One, we'll find the reality that divorce is real, even within the church. But there is also a remedy if we will just look in the text and we're willing to do whatever it takes to keep a marriage. I believe every marriage can be saved, but it takes both people, not one. Both being willing to do whatever it takes to keep it together. One can't do enough for two. Somebody should have said amen besides Brother Ted. One can't do enough for two. So when we're thinking about this, Howard Hendricks said this. Now I've got to break this seriousness. Now listen to me. Howard Hendricks said this. He was speaking at a conference in Dallas to an audience of 2,000 people. He asked the question, do you know anyone who is perfect? He was just about to go on and somebody raised their hand in the very back of the auditorium. He saw that hand and he said, ho, ho, are are you perfect or do you know someone perfect? The man in the back said, oh, 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 no, I'm not perfect. But from what I hear, my wife's first husband was pretty perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the truth of that is if you don't deal with whatever it was that caused your first divorce, it'll linger into your next marriage or relationship, and it can jeopardize that relationship. You know, in in 1993, Time Magazine quoted a professor of George Washington University Law School saying, In these United States, it's easier to walk away from a marriage than from a commitment to purchase a new car. As a matter of fact, can you believe people are getting married with safety nets? (laughs) Yeah, they have an escape plan. Uh... They're called (laughs) prenup agreements. They're already planning not to stay together for a lifetime. Mama and daddy is saying you can always come back home. That is the most ungodly thing we can tell our young people when they exit the house. You know what I was told? What many of you were told? You made your bed, now sleep in it. But we'll say, no, 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 if it doesn't work out, you can come home. Now, listen, understand, I'm going to get to the message, and it's going to take a little bit. But just understand, I'm not advocating anyone should be abused physically, emotionally, or psychologically. They should not be abused. And if my daughter's abused, she can come back home if she's abused. But I wouldn't dare suggest she get a divorce. I wouldn't dare suggest it. That's a decision she's got to make. She's got to live with it because she answers to God. But I, wouldn't, I would say to any woman who's being abused physically, emotionally, or psychologically, get out of the situation until they get help. Pray that they get help. Hey, seek help for them. And if they refuse to get help, then you've got some decisions to make. But you better counsel with God before you make them. That would be my suggestion. You know, we live in a day and time when, in which the home is really under attack. Presently, 51% of marriages end in divorce. That's a rate of one more, more than one in every two marriages failing. I'm not sure how you see this, but I see it as a great tragedy. I'm also sure the Lord does too. Now, I realize that this is an unpleasant topic to preach about, but I'm obligated to preach the truth of God's word Amen. as best as it's been revealed to me. So as we look at this, I want us to hear from what God is saying to us. First Corinthians chapter seven, verses 10 through 16. The Bible says, now to the married. I command not yet, not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and a husband not divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife? Whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? This is God's holy word. God, as we come to you today, we need you. God, this is a topic that is sensitive in every house of worship whenever it's preached. And God, we need you. We pray that you would speak to our hearts Help us, God, with this and help us to understand your truth and that your truth is best for us. And God, if there's one here who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would see a need to know you for any relationship that they have would never be complete without you being in the center. So, God, we're going to look to you. We're going to trust you with what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now, there is a misconception about divorce. That misconception is many believe divorce is sin. Well, I want to clarify that really quickly. Divorce is not sin. (laughs) Contrary to what you've heard, divorce is not sin. There's nowhere in the scripture where God has permitted sin. But there is in the scripture where God has permitted divorce. So that tells me divorce cannot be sin. But, but the things that lead to divorce is sin. Sin is what leads you to that place of divorce. It may be on both parties. It may be on one party or the other. But sin leads to divorce. But divorce itself is not sin. Divorce was granted by God through the law given to Moses. Divorce was never meant to be. God's design for marriage was one man and one woman. For one lifetime. I got to say that again. Just for those who may be listening. On Facebook or YouTube. Because I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. But God's design. Not man's design. God's design for marriage. Was between one woman. And one man. For one lifetime. That's God's design. However, because of the hardened hearts of man, God through his grace granted divorce. Now, (laughs) you may not have ever heard that, but if you would have been a woman in ancient Israel, when men were just tossing their wives aside and taking another wife, therefore they had two wives where one's been taken care of and one's been neglected But she can't get out of that marriage because she has no rights. And if she's with another man, she is put to death. But this man can continue with that other wife. If you lived in that day, you would see the grace of God. In allowing a bill of divorcement so that she could leave this man, be free from him. So that she could go on to, to have another man marry her and take care of her. If you don't believe that's what scripture is saying, just study Study the law of Moses on divorce. And that's exactly the setting that was taking place. And because that setting was, was such, it was God's grace. Because God, what he done was ended the marriage. He killed the marriage so he wouldn't have to kill the people. Because if a woman was caught with another man, both would be put to death. So God said, well, if this man who is her husband, will not take care of her because of the hardness of his heart and the fact that he just wants another woman, let him give her a bill of divorce so she can be with someone else who will take care of her. That's grace. That's grace. Now, this isn't going to be popular, (laughs) but it's going to be true. Stay with me. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 19 and 8, man, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was not God's plan. It was not God's design. It was not what God wanted for us. So what does that say about people today? When one in every two marriages end in divorce, I would say that we are a nation filled with heart hearted people wouldn't you now my real question is what would they say about the church today when the rates are the same as the world (laughs) hmm God's design for marriage was that a a husband or wife relationship would be a reflection of the relationship of Christ and his church. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if every Christian marriage resembled Christ and his love, his faithfulness, his patience, his long-suffering, his gentleness, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness towards his church? What if your marriage... And every Christian marriage you saw, that that's what it reflected. Well, wouldn't it be something that you would want in your own marriage? You know, we have to understand Paul is dealing with the church here. He's not dealing with the laws. He's dealing with the church. And just as God's goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives, hmm, what would it look like (laughs) If we saw in Christian marriages the goodness and mercy toward one another. Hmm. I'm convinced that if Christian marriages reflected the commitment Christ has towards us, the world would be influenced by us when it comes to marriage rather than us being influenced by the world. So, but, so, but the reality is here is that there is divorce within the church. In Christian marriage, divorce is a reality. And this is due to the fact of too often marriage within the church reflects our love for Christ rather than Christ's love for us. (laughs) Somebody should have shouted right there. Too often, marriage reflects our love for Christ rather than Christ's love for us. When we look at this passage, we see the command given to the church. When it comes to marriage, the command is that the wife is not to depart from her husband, and neither the husband depart from his wife. This is a command from God, but we also see in verse 11, where if the wife does depart from her husband or the husband does depart from his wife, that they are to remain unmarried or reconcile back to their spouse. You know, what's interesting to me here is that God gives a command, but he also shares instructions for if the command is not followed. Did that that strike you when you read that? It strikes me. In in other words, it's apparent that God understands that because of the hardness of our hearts, the reality is that we will not be faithful to his word. That's the reality. Well, before, before I lose you, let me put some things in context here with the passage. Paul's dealing with divorce in the church in Corinth. And the primary reason for divorce in the church in Corinth was due to sexual immorality. However, in this passage, we find that the believers were choosing to divorce their unbelieving spouses. Now, we have to understand that the issue here was not that believers chose to marry unbelievers. That's not the situation. The situation is these pagans were living their lifestyle and Paul came in and Apollos came in and Peter came in and, and they preached the gospel and some were being converted. Some were being saved and while they were being saved, their spouses were not being saved. So you had here two people who were married equally yoked and all of a sudden they're unequally yoked and the believers thought that it was easier and more more spiritual for them to just get away from their unbelieving spouse to leave them alone to divorce them so that they could devote more time and energy in serving the Lord well Paul writes to them to give them some instructions that they're, they're missing something here of course they could. They could devote more time and energy to serving the Lord when they don't have the responsibility of a spouse and all that comes with marriage. But here is the here in this case, they were just getting rid of them when they should have been an influence on them. Here it seems that one spouse realized realized that they were lost. And not only did they realize they were lost, they realized that Jesus Christ was in fact and is in fact and will always be in fact the son of the living God. And because they believed he was the son of God, they also believed that he lived a sinless life. And they believed that he died for their sins. That he became the once and for all sacrifice for the sin of man. And they received him as their Lord and Savior. And what a wonderful time it was. But here they are with someone who failed to see the same thing. So those who had been converted from this pagan lifestyle to Christianity began to think that it was best to leave these pagans that they were living with. And it appears the believing believing spouses believed that he or she could devote more time to ministry. Well, can I share some real reality for us? As it pertains to today, marriage is hard. Well, every woman should have said, yes, it is. Should have said, amen. Marriage is hard. To go into marriage expecting that it was going to be this happily ever after fairy tale is just naive. Once we get married and come off the honeymoon, reality really sets in. You know, the worst year for most couples is years two and three. Because they've gotten over year one. And now year two and three, you've learned some things that you didn't know. And not only have you learned things you didn't know, but some of the things that attracted you to them no longer attract you, but they annoy you. Uh, Somebody understands. (laughs) You know, all sorts of responsibilities just pile on. We realize that, you know, it's not about me anymore. It's not what I want to do. I get to go where I want to go and I eat what I want to eat and I I go and buy what I want to buy without considering someone else. Some of you are saying, you're crazy, preacher. I'm gonna do what I want to do anyway. Well, like I said, years two and three are gonna be very difficult. Yeah. You find that, You're no longer your own person and just responsible for you, but you're responsible for a spouse. And not only that, guess what else comes? Mortgages come, which puts more strain on the marriage. Because of the responsibility for this mortgage that you've gotten. Not only that. What about children? Somewhere around the second or third year. You start to think of children. Or you start having children. Uh, whether it's a child. Or that uh, you stop at one. and Or you have many children. Whatever it is. You realize that this takes time. And I don't get the attention I used to get. I don't get to do the things I used to do. I'm responsible for this person. And, and this has to take priority over anything else. Sometimes jobs change, whether it's through promotions, whether it's changes in employers, whether it's just changes in careers. We go through a lot of changes in our lives. And while trying to navigate through marriage, we may not always feel connected to each other. We may begin to feel like we're drifting or growing apart. And when this happens, the reality is people are, are relying on their feelings rather than their commitment. We forget in those moments when our feelings start to get in the way that God doesn't care much about our feelings. He cares more about our faith. Oh, I got to give credit to preacher Jimmy Jones. I heard him say that. that. I didn't make that up. You know, we get caught up in our feelings, how I feel. Well, you know, I made a commitment to God and to this person and I've just got to have faith that God's going to work it out. The reality is it's not a time to try to get out of the marriage. Instead, it's a time to remember the commitment to each other and to God and to truly focus on the marriage. And if we do, what we'll find is that in the midst of this reality, there's a remedy To divorce within the church. And the remedy is that in every area of life, we're going to find that if we consult the Holy Scriptures, in the Scriptures we'll find that there are Christian principles for every born-again believer that can govern their lives. If you find these principles, it's one thing to read about them. It's one thing to believe that they exist. It's one thing to know that it can happen, but it's another thing to put them in practice. So we need to understand what some of the principles are. And I'm just going to share just a couple with us this morning. And while there are many... in. In order to live by the Christian principles, we must obey the scriptures. And in this case, if we look to the scriptures, what we will find is that the scriptures teach us first to not be unequally yoked. To not go into a marriage if you are a believer with an unbeliever. Remember I said earlier that wasn't the case here in the church in Corinth. And it shouldn't be the case with us. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. It's one thing for two unbelievers to marry and then one of them repent and surrender their life to Christ uh, during the marriage, but it's an entirely different thing when, when a believer chooses to marry an unbeliever. According to scripture, it should not take place. It creates divided marriages. You will have two people going in two different directions to begin with. One's living in light while the other's living in darkness. One is declared righteous by the one true God while the other's declared unrighteous by the the one true God. One is living in the newness of life while the other is still dead in the trespass of their sins. Can you see how that can be an issue? And let me just say this, young people, young people. (laughs) You're going to marry who you really believe is the person for you. I'm going to ask you, don't come to me if you are a believer And tell me God sent this unbeliever into your life for you to marry. It's against scripture. And God, there's one thing God cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot go against his word. Regardless of the circumstances. And if we choose to marry someone who is unequally yoked with us, it's not because God sent them into our lives. It's because of the lust of our flesh. And we wanted them more than we wanted God's word. Amen. Oh, that's mean, isn't it? Amen. If you believe this, you have not consulted with God's word. Another principle that we Want to follow is just to remain committed to your marriage. Here's the here in this passage, the apostle Paul says that if a believer has a spouse that is an unbeliever, but the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay with them, then do not divorce. The purpose of this is for the believing spouse to sanctify the unbelieving spouse. Now, this doesn't mean that they're saved by the by the believing spouse. You you're going to stand for yourself. And your spouse is going to stand for himself or herself. We're not going to be able to stand for one another. We stand before God alone. And we're going to stand before him. And we're going to be judged based upon whether we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the church won't. But unbelievers will. The church is going to be judged for the works they do. But unbelievers will solely be judged on whether or not they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What it means is this word sanctified in this context, it means that the marriage is set apart to God. And if the unbeliever is willing to remain with the believer, then the marriage... Is not to be dissolved. Simply stated, God accepts the marriage of a mixed couple if the unbelieving spouse is willing to accept the fact that his wife or his husband is a Christian who lives for the Lord and the unbeliever must support his wife or her husband and their loyalty to Christ and his church. Again, God will honor the person who is saved who is a believer and he will honor the marriage because of that person. But it was never meant to be from the beginning. Because it leads you in different directions. Here, the condition is for the unbeliever not to hinder the believer in their worship and their time spent with God, or even in their service to God. While the scripture shared Christian principles, shared these Christian principles with us, for our marriages to be successful, we must follow Christian practices. Now folks, love is an action. It's not just a word, it's actually an action. We're to display our love to one another. In verses 1 through 6 in chapter 7, it helps us to to see what it looks like to display love within the confines of marriage to one another. Uh, Paul shares that a husband must render to his wife... The affection due to her. Now get your minds out of the gutters, guys. You know your wives are wired different than you are, don't you? And it says it says in here to show the affection due to her. We'll get to the other part later. But listen to what I'm saying right now. This means that husbands should know and understand. We should understand our wives so That we know the affection they desire. There's nothing about you or me that our Lord and Savior doesn't know. He's a, and he's able to meet all our needs as a matter of fact Ephesians 3 20 through 21 says now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in all the church by, Je- by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen in other words God knows everything that we need he knows everything that we desire and he's more than willing he's abundantly and exceedingly willing to give us what it is that we we desire but we must give ourselves to him here we must give our wives the affection that they are due whether it's a soft touch whether it's words of affirmation whether it's assurance that she's safe or whether she needs to hear that I love you on a daily basis whatever the affection that she desires it's the husband's responsibility to know and to lovingly and willingly provide for her. Now, now there are generations, the generation of my father, I don't know if they ever heard this. Well, let me say it this way. I don't know if they ever witnessed this in their home. The generation of my grandfather, I'm almost certain among the Native American people, they never witnessed it. Because we were all, they were all out and working. They were in the fields. So we, we, so some of you are products of your environment. Let me share this. I, I remember growing up as a child on Sunday evening, it was not, we went outside and play. We, we, it, it was, we, we were just outside. We weren't in the house. And when we had cousins and neighbors and friends come over to play, uh, we were all outside, but the blinds or the shades of our house would be open. And it was nothing to see mom and daddy just laying on the couch with each other. And I had cousins, first cousins. In other words, their are siblings saying, your, your mom and dad do this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this ain't nothing new for us. They, they lay around like that every day. You know, if they get the chance. Why? I ain't never seen that. It really... You know, I'm a child. I didn't, I didn't know the significance of it. Didn't understand the significance of it. Didn't really care at that time about the significance of it. But I see it today. You know, there are many who never got to witness that. And we're product, products of our environment. So often what we do is we treat our wives the way we see our fathers or grandfathers treat mama or grandma. But the Bible tells us something different. Every woman is different. Every individual woman wants something different. You're not going to find two that are alike. And when we can find what it is that, that really moves them, then we need to do that. I, I'll, I'll give you a source. If you haven't read it, read the five love languages. Man, if you find out what your wife's love language is, it'll change your life. It won't only change hers, it'll change yours. Because when you give her the affection due to her, she's willing to give the affection due to you. I've said this over the years that the condition lies on us. We're the husband. They're the wife. Christ is our husband and he loved us and it's because he loved us that we love him. Maybe, maybe, Maybe our wives aren't being what we would like them to be because we're not being to them what they're seeking. Now, (laughs) listen, wives, (laughs) that's no excuse. It's an excuse used. (laughs) But when you stand before God, it's not going to be an excuse. Oh, he didn't do this for me. That's not that's not the issue. The issue is you committed to him, and you committed to him before the Lord. And because of that, I mean, you have a duty, and your duty is to render unto your husband the due affection to him. You know, um, <laughs> during one of our winter Bible studies, Dr. Tim Chavis said that every morning before his wife goes out to work. He tells her how beautiful she is and that he loves her. He said he did this because, one, he wants her to know that he loves her. And, two, he knows there's somebody else out there looking at her. And because they're looking at her, he wants to make sure that she's already heard whatever it is they might say to her from him. Hmm. Now, all of this applies to the wives, as we've said. Just as, it, just as we know it pleases the Lord to spend time with him in his word and prayer, wives need to know how to please her husband. What I mean is this, men, I'm not there yet. Be, be, get your minds out of the gutter. What I mean is this, she needs to know how to respect her husband. She needs to know uh, that no man, no matter Who he is wants to be disrespected in his home, who wants to be challenged before his children and before others. His wife has to be an encourager to him. She should be his biggest cheerleader. The word when he comes home, he knows there's somebody after the world has beat him down. There's somebody who desires to lift him up. She is his helpmate, and it's up to the wife to help the husband. We need a helpmate for one reason. We can't do it all alone. We need each other, and because we need each other, the wife the wife must help the man to become all that God would have him to be because we're not able to do it by ourselves. If we were, he wouldn't have given us a helpmate. The Bible teaches us here in verses 4 and 5 That you don't have the right to use your bodies against your spouse. I I know I'd get Brother Mike's attention. Listen, in reality, once married, you give up your body to become one with your spouse. So we're not to deprive one another. And Paul even gives us the the reason. In verse 5, he says, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The reason sexual immorality isn't such an issue in so many marriages is the lack of self-control. But it is much easier to exercise self-control when you're not being deprived of what's rightfully yours. Giving up, <laughs> giving up in the morning. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is, is make coffee if, if I'm up first. And I drink a cup of coffee. And if I go through the day, if I'm not careful, if I get really busy, I'll skip breakfast. That's, that's nothing. That's a normal thing for me. But if I'm really busy, I'll skip lunch. And it's 4 or 5 o'clock when I realize I ain't eating nothing all day. And that's not something unusual for me. You can't look at me and tell. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that's not unusual for me. But if I want to fast, and I want to fast breakfast and lunch, and devote that time to prayer, then man, that's that's not an easy thing. You may say, come on preacher. No, it's not an easy thing because Satan throws up all sorts of obstacles. For some reason, when I weren't hungry, the week before, I'm hungry this week. And for some reason, when three days ago I, I went through that and it bothered me, I didn't even think about it, to that particular day, I'm thinking about food. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking of what it is that, I, that I, I, I've been craving more and more whenever it is that I've devoted that time for God. It's when I'm depriving myself of something that I begin to want it more. Hmm. Hmm. You get where I'm going? Husbands and wives, if we deprive our spouses, we can rest assured that Satan, he will tempt them with sexual immorality. It's much harder for your spouse to not lose self-control when they've not been deprived. So again, let me encourage you not to try to bend your spouse to do what you want them to do by depriving them. Because it just might break your marriage. Two, two believers in fellowship with God should have the greatest physical relationship possible. It should be something of great joy that they can't wait to participate even in times when they're tired or stressed. If they see it as a gift of God and not an obligation... I wonder after years of marriage, don't raise your hands, but I just wonder how many of us see it more as an obligation rather than a gift. Now that first year, it's not really an issue. It's a gift, but it seems like after children and after time, we somehow see it as an obligation. Indeed, the more we seek intimacy with God, the more we should desire to seek intimacy with our spouse. Listen, folks. This isn't a message I wanted to preach today. Not a message I wanted to really have to deal with, but it's the word of God. And the truth is divorce. It's a reality. Divorce within the church family is a reality. Some of you here may Be divorced. You know, our past is behind us. And like the writer said in Philippians, we are pressing forward toward the mark of the prize of a high calling of God. So if you're married, remember your commitment to each other before God. And when trouble tries to invade your marriage, look to the Holy Scriptures. Please don't look to a friend look to the holy scriptures put the Christian principles that the scripture provides into practice and you'll find that your marriage can be all that God has designed it to be now if you're unmarried Paul says that it is good to remain as he is which at that moment Paul was single scholars believe Paul had been married at one time or another But in that moment, Paul was a single man. And he is saying, if you're single, remain that way. However, if you cannot exercise self-control, it's better that you marry than to burn with passion. And if you do marry, let your passion burn only for your spouse. And watch God bless your marriage every head bowed every eye closed God I come before you right now and I pray that you would take these broken words that you would fix them form them fashion them in the hearts of each one that is here today God you know the message that each heart needs and I pray that you are sharing that right now for those God who know you through your son Jesus Christ God I pray that you would just Allow your Holy Spirit to be a reminder to them constantly to seek you. And as they seek you, obey you. And as they obey you, they'll find that you are able to fix whatever may seem to be broken within their marriage. God, I pray for any young believers that they would trust you and wait upon you to send them the man or the woman that you would have them to be, to be with. God, a woman or a man that can help them become a better person and who they can also help to be a better person, but who together they look to you. And God, as you move and minister to them, we pray that you would bless them according to your will and according to your riches and glory. But God, maybe there's somebody here today who has a believing spouse and they're an unbeliever. God help them to see the only way they can be as fulfilled as you would have them to be is to surrender their lives to you. The only way their marriage can be as fulfilled as you would have it to be is for them to surrender their life to you so that them and their spouse can walk hand in hand in the same direction that they can walk in the newness of life together and that they can be an example to their children and grandchildren of what a Christian home is to look like. Oh God, I know I'm, I know I failed you in delivering this, but God, I know you're able to fix what I can't. So move and minister in their hearts. And we'll praise you for what's accomplished.